Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at PCTYTalks at Paylocity.com. On today's episode, we continue our conversation from our webinar, The Black Lives Matter Movement and Your Organization. I will include a link to that recording in the show notes. Our conversation will be with Tahita Shacker of Connexus Group, Cheryl Johnson, CHRO with Paylocity, and Althea Gordon, Senior Director of Talent Acquisition at Paylocity. Tahita, thanks for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and start with you with our first question. So one of the questions was, what conversations did you suggest having with employees regarding the current climate, particularly when some employees seem very insensitive with the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, Really, a company has to take a stand. Like, where are they? um, Where's their comfort level? Are they comfortable saying, Black Lives Matter. Some companies are, some companies aren't. But I think regardless, the conversation that needs to be had with employees is that what is happening in society today is a catalyst for us to look at our policies and procedures and make sure that we have equitable and fair practices across the board. And if we are a company that doesn't currently have a diverse employee population, that's something that we want to focus on. Again, you have companies out there that may say we're not diverse and we're okay with that. And they may choose to do nothing. Um, But if you are a company that wants to get involved, but you have employees within your um, organization that are resistant or feel like they don't, you're not comfortable talking specifically to Black Lives Matter, I think you talk about equity, policies, practices and making sure that you have a diverse and inclusive culture. So not bringing in, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, but just for our organization, it's important for us to be diverse, inclusive, and make sure that our policies and practices are free of bias. Cheryl, this one's going to be for you. My company executive team is run primarily by white men. And while they've made a commitment in recruiting efforts, training, education, and continuing the conversation. I'm a core member of that DNI group, but how much time is being spent allowing for action? Because right now I feel like they're just words. Uh, I think that's a great question. And that's a question pretty much every organization is going to get asked because a lot of companies are coming out with a statement or a message to say, we support this. And employees expect immediate action. So immediate visible action. And the reality is the actions that need to take place are not ones that happen overnight. And so they're not ones that if they're authentic and they're true and they're true change for the organization, they're going to take some time before you can actually see the outcome. So my recommendation is to put in small milestones. um, So that kind of helps with the whole self-efficacy Part of it where you see, okay, this was the first step of, call it a three-point plan. So this is my first step to get to where I ultimately want to be. Did I hit that milestone? Great. Then I go on to the next one so that you you see action and you see momentum instead of just waiting for the big bang. So for instance, one of the, the actions that many companies are talking about is increasing representation. 
increasing representation of underrepresented minority groups and black employees is not something that happens overnight. You've got to have a position that's open. So for smaller companies, they may not even be hiring right now. So if you're not hiring and your goal is to increase representation, um, kind of have to recognize that when you're hiring, that's one of the opportunities to increase representation. Then you have to actually recruit and source. So representation is something that could take months before you actually start seeing something. So I would recommend identifying small actions in between the, you know, we said we we're going to commit to this and I see diverse representation and measuring against those milestones. Same with training. Okay. So if there's no training developed, um, which by the way, Paylocity is going to have um, unconscious bias and diversity and inclusion training in our LMS by the fall. So there will be training available to you then. But if there's no training between now and then, then the first milestone is identify training. The second milestone is launch training. So I think in from an HR person's perspective, helping your leaders identify those milestones and being able to follow up with employees um, is really important. So I think the other part to that is, is the HR person or the person on the DI council, you may start seeing these actions, but if your employees aren't having that same dialogue, you're going to lose some trust and confidence in the employee base. So making sure too that you have a good communication cadence so that you're letting people know that here are goals, here are plans, um, here's the things we're going to do, and then update people when you've done those things so that they see the progress and they build trust and confidence in your plan. Thank you. You mentioned recruiting, which leads me to the next question that I want to give to Althea. The question came in, how can a company within an industry that has an underrepresentation of Black individuals influence change either in the future within the Black community or now by finding more diverse talent to hire? I think there are several ways that you can go about increasing representation uh, in regards to diversity recruiting. And it starts from things as uh, simple as your job descriptions, making sure that they are free from bias and or language that might be by not be gender neutral. Uh, I think the other thing is, you know, just really spending time sourcing diverse talent and how you do that. And there's so many ways you can do that. So there are things such as job boards, um, like direct employers, a fairy god boss. Um, there are also ways that you can increase pipelining by doing things simple that are um, of no cost to you. So for example, um, searching diversity professional organizations. Um, there's a great website by the name of Job Stars USA that actually has a list of gender and or ethnic diversity professional organizations around the country. And so you can start looking for people by those organizations, maybe joining some of those organizations um, on LinkedIn. Um, and then everything from through your assessment and selection process, right? Making sure you don't have any bias in your assessment process, making sure your hiring managers don't take that bias to the um, interview process and making sure that you have a diverse uh, interviewer slate uh, meeting with your candidates. You know, candidates want to see people who look like them um, at the companies that they aspire to work for. I have a follow-up question to that. Uh, you had mentioned during our webinar that there are some tools for identifying um, bias in job descriptions. Can you share what some of those tools are that, that people could utilize? You know, the top of the funnel really starts with your job description, and it's critical to make sure that your job description um, is not biased and or off-putting to 
the specific gender, right? Um, and, and there's an interesting study done by HP that I refer to a lot uh, that shared that women will apply to job descriptions and jobs only when they find themselves 100% qualified, while men will actually apply when they're 60% and so qualified. So if you look at that, there could be a whole pool of candidates that you're missing on the front end of the process uh, before your recruiting process even begins. Um, and so there are some tools, there's some free tools like Recruiter Central um, that will look at your job description and give you an assessment of your job description uh, based on gender. Um, there's another tool, JobLint uh, is another free tool. Um, they specialize in tech focused jobs. Um, and then there's Textio, who is one of the, I guess, bigger players in the space. Um, Textio is a subscription service, so there is a cost to it. Um, but they do also have a free assessment that you can partake in right away by submitting your job descriptions, and they'll provide you an overview of what your current job descriptions look like and, and how they rate and score as it applies to um, other companies. And so those are a few, um, you know, whether you have no budget or a big budget um, that would help in that, in that effort. Great. And I'll make sure to include those links in our show notes. So um, if you're listening, you'll have easy access to those. Um, next question is for Tahita. It's a little bit of a long one, so bear with me here. We are a small company, about 120 employees, and want to start a DNI advisory committee. We think we want to have a diverse group on this committee, representatives from each department, people of different backgrounds, and people in different roles, mix of management and non-management. We're not sure how to form this group in an inclusive way. We thought about opening it up for anyone to apply. For this council to work, it has to be a limited number of people. Who would we who would we use to select the applicants? How do we convey the selection criteria in a way that we're not making people feel alienated? What if only white people apply? We also thought about hand selecting based on management recommendations. This would help us ensure that we have a diverse group. Please help. So Tahita, what's your advice um, for organizations that that know they need this DNI advisory committee or a council? How do they go about it? And what are some tactical steps they can do as they're thinking about um, this application process? Well, I think it's important to have it be a manageable number. So you may have a lot of people, especially right now, that are interested in engaging in something like that. And I think there's a way to use that interest, but it may not be directly on the council. I think the council, it's important to have, above all, um, representation of your minority group within your organization, or if you have an all-white organization or predominantly white employee population, then you might have to handpick minority folks within the organization to say, hey, we'd really like to get your perspective and opinion. We'd like you to be a part of this council. But I do think transparency and being genuine and authentic is very key when you're going into a, you know, application process. So people know what is the goal? You know, you may, someone may get tapped for it. Someone else may have, may apply for it. So just making sure that your employees understand that the goal is that you have underrepresented groups represented within the council. And the goal is to have leaders within the organization, management or above. I would say 10 people, no more than 10 on the council, because, you know, more than that to start out, it gets a little hectic and you have a lot of um, opinions to deal with. So, and the reason I say management is because you want people in the room that have influence, authority, and power to make decisions. It's okay to have employees join the group as well, but you want decision makers in the room. So they're hearing what are the gaps, what is needed, and they can raise those issues up the flag. 
it's super important. You're saying like, who should review the applications? I think department leaders, your executive team should have a say on who's sitting on the council. If you're starting with the council, and then of course you can, an offshoot of that council could be ERT groups. But to start, if you're just starting with the council, I think it's important to have a manageable number, leaders within the organization who have power, and make sure that you have a cross-representation of underrepresented groups within your organization. It doesn't make sense to go through the effort of starting a diversity council if you're going to have, you know, only one group represented. For example, all white men, all white women, it, you might as well not put in the effort. So you may have to tap someone who's at a senior level, not a manager yet, but they may be in an underrepresented group to say, hey, would you come participate because we really want your perspective. I do think an application, not it doesn't have to be a lengthy application, but you need to make sure that the person is interested and has a desire to be on the council. You don't want someone sitting on the council who feels like, I didn't want to be involved in this. And because I'm in an underrepresented group, I got, I have to do this. You want someone who's passionate about it. So I think maybe having them answer three questions, have them write an essay, have, have a short interview or conversation with them to understand why they're interested in joining, I think it's important to understand, you know, what are their motivations? Is it someone who this is something that is important to them or it's something that they feel like their arm is being twisted and they have to do? You don't want to twist anybody's arm to do this, which may mean you not may not have all of the representation that you need across the board. But if you have the majority represented, then I think, you know, it's important to go ahead and, you know, something is better than nothing. So I think the effort is, it's worth taking the effort um, to get something like this started. Thank you. Um, the next one's going to be for you, Cheryl. What advice do you offer HR professionals who really want to make a difference, but are working with senior leaders who are tone deaf? Yeah, also a very, very common situation. I think the best thing you can do is start with researching and educating yourself. So looking to see what are other companies doing, specifically companies, I would start with companies that your leadership team may admire, may respect. May, may look to to say uh, that they may want to emulate that type of company or that type of culture and see what they're doing. Um, I've used that in my past to convince leadership teams that values were important. So something not, you know, not even very um, divisive or um, bringing a lot of emotion to a situation, but just something pretty simple like values. And it's been super helpful. And so I would start there, just kind of research and see what others are doing. Um, educate yourself, talk to other HR professionals, find out how they're getting on board. And then the other thing I would suggest is if you can't get through the leadership team, there have got to be leaders in your organization who are not tone deaf to this who have influence and who are also credible. So I would lean into those people and find out if those people could also help advocate um, for what's going on. The other part you can do is just is be aware of your client base. So sometimes maybe if you're an organization that's not, um, the leadership team's not incredibly diverse or the organization's not incredibly diverse. So trying to get them to realize that this is a real um, issue and something that needs to be um, worked on is look at your client base and share some context for the client base. So then at least your organization leaders can find some something that connects with them, whatever it takes to get them to connect with it, use that information so that you can pull them in. And then the last thing I would suggest is even if they're tone deaf, put together a plan. So it's one thing to 
to come to them and say, we need to do this. We need to do this. We, this is an issue. We need to address it. It's another thing to come with a plan and say, this is my plan. This is how I think we should address it. What feedback do you have? And kind of be a little bit more bold with um, insisting on action. Love that. I love the idea of coming with a plan. I think a lot of times us in HR, we we kind of know something needs to be addressed um, and we don't come to the table with that plan kind of fully fleshed out to get feedback on. So I really like that. This next one's for you, Althea. I represent a very small company, sub 20 employees. We have zero racial diversity and we do not hire frequently. Additionally, the industry we work within traditionally lacks diversity. I welcome any suggestions you might have on how to increase not only diversity within our firm, but how to be leaders within our industry to help raise awareness. So what I would say is, you know, especially if you're not hiring frequently, this might be a journey and that's okay. Right. And so, number one, try to stay committed throughout the journey. And what you'll probably have to do is focus on diversity when you have attrition. Um, And so I've seen companies be able to and teams be able to move the needle by doing this, which is as people leave, focus on backfilling those positions with diverse hires. And so, you know, I've seen one team in particular, for example, move the underrepresented uh, representation from 12% to 19% while going down in the size of the team. So it's possible, but it's just a very focused effort. And so some of the things that I recommended a little earlier, like your job descriptions and, for example, Recruiter Central, which is a free tool, um, you know, is a great place to start so that when you are looking, you know, that you make sure that your job description um, doesn't have any bias in it. Um, the other thing, too, you know, as a small company is thinking about how to increase um, your network, right? And so if each one of the 20 employees um, in the company uh, think about how to just increase their own personal network, right? So joining diverse groups on LinkedIn, attending local uh, professional events, a lot of them are virtual right now, um, that cater and or specialize to diverse groups are great ways to just start to increase your diversity network uh, and your diverse network so that when opportunities are available, um, you can start pulling on your own personal network. And so Again, it might be a journey, um, but stay committed. You know, set a goal. Your goal might be, you know, you want to have X percent of your employees to be diverse. Your goal might be we want our employee diversity to represent our customer base, right? And so set a goal, stay focused and committed, and just know that it's going to be a journey and that's okay as long as you're headed in the right direction. I would say, what can you do from an industry perspective? Um, you know, this is a, a great question because I think there are so many industries that are struggling um, with diverse talent and finding diverse talent in the pipeline of diverse talent. And, and what I've seen that has been just amazing over the years is that companies, industries, professionals coming together to help each other solve the problem. And, and so think about things like hosting roundtables um, with other folks that are in similar positions than as you are. Um, so industry colleagues. Um, And even think about maybe hosting joint networking events for diverse professionals um, in in your neighborhood and your communities, right? I think those are really great ways of trying to just help the industry in regards to raising awareness um, and importance around diversity. Thanks, Althea. Um, Last one's for you, Cheryl, to to wrap us up and take us home. Um, Even though this is a specific moment in time that has started broader discussions, can we talk a little bit about how organizations can create process and or committees and or um, change that are dedicated to long-term change opposed opposed to creating something right now because it's trendy? Yeah. Uh, so 
I think the first is forming a committee. So if you don't already have employee resource groups or you don't already have a diversity leadership council or committee, I would suggest forming that and starting there and really making sure that the charter of that group is super clear. Um, and I think that's kind of the balance too, is let's say you already have those. I would encourage you to go back and relook at their charter to make sure that what you've asked them to focus on or what they think they're focusing on um, is something that's going to drive sustainable change for the organization. Um, it is more than just creating a group for people to network, but it's creating a group that can look at the practices and the policies and the procedures of the company. So that would be number one. I think the second thing is, you know, something that Paylocity is um, getting ready to do is to share our diversity dashboard internally. So it's like uh, this concept of pre-committing. When you pre-commit to people that you're going to do something, I've done this with like exercise and dieting. So pre-committing and saying, I'm going to start a diet on Monday, or I'm going to start working out on Monday, or I'm training for this race. You've now told everybody, you've pre-committed to people that you're going to do something. And then it's much harder to back off of that because you know you've already put it out there. So I think the same with putting together a diversity dashboard or some diversity metrics or stats for the organization and being willing to share those and share your plans publicly, at least internally, is a good way to kind of pre-commit and enforce that accountability to keep it going. Um, but I think if, if it's just like a one-time event, it is going to be a flash in the PM. It's not, it's not going to be real. It's not going to be sustainable. Well, thank you, ladies, for spending some time with me today and going over some of the questions that we had left over from our webinar. Um, this has been really insightful, and I hope our listeners got something out of it as well. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.